0: Today on Abounding Grace, there are many examples that you shouldn't follow, not because of the Calvary bubble or some pastor told you to, because the Bible says so. It's the authority of God's word. There are just examples that we aren't to follow and we're to note these folks. We're to note the ones to follow and we're to note the ones not to follow. Now that doesn't mean we just dismiss people that are a bad example or dismiss people that might be backslidden, not at all just don't follow them because you'll become like them
1: this is grace. this is unfair. time once again for Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will be along shortly to continue our series in 2 Kings. I'm sure you can identify some people in your life that are really good and godly examples. People who are following Christ and living to honor the Lord. And then there are also quite a number of people around us that are really bad examples. As we turn together to 2 Kings 18, we'll notice that King Hezekiah followed a very good example, and Pastor Ed will encourage us to do the same. Take your Bibles, open them to two places, would you? 2
0: Kings chapter 18 and Philippians chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 18 and Philippians chapter 3, as we are introduced to a new king today by the name of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah ranks alongside of Josiah probably as the two greatest kings. Now, of course, setting aside David and Solomon, Hezekiah and Josiah were great kings. And good news is always wonderful to receive, and Judah is going to receive good news when they find out about their new king, Hezekiah. So notice with me, first off, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, where the Bible says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea the son of Elah, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And I love verse 3. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And notice the motto that he followed. According to all that his father David had done. So Hezekiah was a king that looked back to the examples of good leadership. Because he would have to go back, many kings, to say, you know, I want a model to follow. And the model I want to follow is David. Now, of course, David wasn't a perfect man. And neither is any leader, any human leader we would ever follow or we would ever look to for direction. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a redeemed man, living even then in the grace of God, in the goodness of God. And I think it's good for us to be reminded on how we choose those who we follow. Notice in Philippians, come over to Philippians now with me, verse 17 of chapter 3. I think it's such a great reminder of what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, "'Brethren, join in following my example, "'and note those who so walk, as you have us, for a pattern. "'For many walk, of whom I've told you often, "'and now I tell you even weeping, "'that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, "'whose end is destruction, and whose God is their belly, "'and whose glory is in their shame.' And notice, "...who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself." I love how Paul is drawing the church to say, Brethren, I want you to follow my example. I want to live my life, Paul says, as an example for you to follow. And I pray that that's your desire as well. That you notice in your own life that it's not just you that matters. As Paul would say earlier in Philippians, that we would esteem others more highly than ourselves. So that not only are we living in such a way to please God as we should and live in such a way to rely upon the sufficiency of his grace and the strength of his love and following Jesus as our model, God has also set before us human examples. And Paul, he set it out to say, follow my example. I mean, that's a pretty bold thing to say, don't you think? To be able to look at someone and say, follow me. Follow, I want you to follow my example. I want you to follow me as I'm following Jesus Christ. Notice he says, and note those that are walking the same way. And he really gives us the distinction of two types of people. There are those that are following in the citizenship of heaven, and there those that are living in the citizenship on earth. And another way we would say that is, there are those that are walking in the spirit, and there are those that are walking in the flesh. There are those that are talking about the things of the spirit, and there are those that are, that are just living in this world, living for this world. That's all they're really into. And you know that's all they're really into, because that's all they really talk about. And the reason that's all they really talk about is because that's all they're really living for. And that's what's in them. And it's an easy way to make a distinction. As you're entering into a conversation with someone, whichever way the conversation goes will really tell you where a person's living in the moment or for the extent of that conversation. Why? Because Jesus said this, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's one of the greatest things you can do when you're challenged with someone that needs help from the Bible. What we might often refer to as biblical counseling, or what we would rather refer to it as biblical discipleship. One of the greatest things you can do in communicating the truth of God's word to someone is simply to get them talking. Just get them talking. Ask open-ended questions that will lead them to a way of describing the situation, describing where they are, and just begin to talk. Because the longer they talk, the less guarded and protected they are, and the less guarded and protected they are, the more their voice and their mouth begins to line up with really where they are. And it usually starts out with real guarded conversation. So, you know, tell me how things are going. Well, you know, praise the Lord, brother. Things are really good and, and things could be better. And, you know, well, really tell me what, what could be better. Well, you know, things aren't going so well in our marriage. But, you know, I've been praying, brother. And it starts out so spiritual and so strong. But if you get them talking for a while, eventually they go, you know what? My wife doesn't have any idea how to be a wife. Oh, really? Really? So that's how it is, brother. And you begin to talk to them a bit. The more that they share, the more that then you can take the word of God and say, hey, hey, it sounds like ministry. It sounds like things are really tough in your marriage right now. And, and it sounds like your wife is posing some real challenging things for you. But let's talk about what God has to say about what a loving husband looks like. And then, you know, the guy, oh, no, no, no. I didn't come in here to talk about my loving husband. I am a loving husband. Let me show you how loving, you know, it's like, it's amazing that what can, what can come out when you, because what happens is, is so we we can be, and, and you just have to check yourself on this, but we can be so quick to want to solve someone's problem, but you don't even know what the problem is yet. And one of the ways to get to the root of the issue is open dialogue. And, and the key as you are, you're drawing someone to, to, to talk is to be a good listener and just listen. And just let it soak in so the Holy Spirit can use it. He says, follow my example. Join me. You know there are people just like me that you have us as a pattern. You can look at us. Paul would refer to his self-sacrificial life. His life of self-denial. And the reason why he wants to stand as an example to the church in Philippi is because of verse 18. There are many people that walk, and that word simply means their manner of life. There are many people that live, of whom I told you often, and now I'm telling you with tears in my eye, I'm weeping, that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Imagine that. Many in the church in Philippi were choosing to follow people that were literally enemies of the cross. Enemies of the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ. Enemies of the self-sacrifice of Jesus. Enemies of a self-sacrificial life. They were enemies of the cross, he says. And he says, hey, their end is destruction. And their God is their belly, the glory and their shame. And they set their minds on earthly things. It's easy to lose focus in our lives and be distracted We lose sight of our goals, we get hung up on the past, and and we don't often look to examples of godly men and women to get set back. What happens often when we get off course in our lives, when a believer gets off course, is they're surrounded by people that are corrupting their good habits. Or just three, four months ago, they were walking strong with the Lord. They were strong in the things of God. I mean, not, again, we're not speaking perfect. None of us are. None of us have everything in order. None of us have everything lined up perfectly. But I mean, a general walk, your progress is forward. It's upward and onward in the strength of the Lord. But before you know it, a compromising believer is often surrounded by other compromising believers. That's actually one of the main sources of compromise. The Bible says evil company corrupts good habits. And so you spend your whole life developing habits that reflect the love of God and respond to the grace of God. But then you find yourself surrounded with people that act just like you, talk just like you, and they live in such a way where, you you, you know, it's a whole group of compromising people and then you don't even see it anymore. You know, it's funny because as over the years, I've heard this phrase, I've heard it in various ways and it's almost used negatively every time I hear it. And and I just want to set the record straight that it's not as negative as people might make it out to be. But somebody will leave here or move on to something and then they'll look back at their time here at Calvary and they'll say something like, oh, I'm just so glad I got outside of the Calvary bubble is what they call it. And what they mean is this. They come and worship here, they sing here, they study the Bible here, they bear fruit here, they're a blessing to their family, they're a blessing at work, and God is doing great things, and then they step outside and they look back at that time of great fruitfulness and great change, maybe even got saved here, uh, involved in great things here, and they look back and go, oh, I'm just so happy I got out of that Calvary bubble. What's so wrong with bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? And it's not like the doors are locked here. If you want to head out, you can go out each of the doors. The Calvary bubble can't be popped in your mind. I I teach my many, many times uh, before, and I'll remind us here, the body of Christ is so much bigger than the Calvary bubble. But I'm glad that God put me in this church to grow in grace. I'm blessed by this church. But I'm blessed by my Baptist friends, and I'm blessed by my Pentecostal friends, and I'm blessed by my Vineyard friends. There's a lot of people I'm blessed with, but man, to to think that a place of fruitfulness, I look back at my time in California and the eight years I spent at Calvary Chapel in Downey. I never once, when I left, did I say, oh, I'm so glad that I'm not in the Calvary-Downey bubble anymore. That bubble, whatever you want to call it, God used to save my life. The teaching of God, it saved my soul. And I'm always tripping out when I hear people, well, you know, I, it was just, I'm so free to be out of the Calvary bubble. Hey, it's, it's actually not even a Calvary bubble. It's just a great place to grow in grace. And somebody comes up and they say, you know, after a weekend, after a Bible study or something, and they say, you know, I was so blessed by that. I was so encouraged by that. You know, I can sense the spirit in this church and various many things that they say. And I say, you know what? I, I always respond almost the same way. I say, this is a great church. And then they kind of laugh because they know I'm the pastor, right? So of course, what am I going to say? This is a horrible church. Teaching is horrible. Everything's horrible. I don't know what you saw, but I didn't see that. I thought that, you know, no, of course, this is a great church. Why? Because this is where my family goes to church. I serve here, and I'm grateful to serve here. This is what God's called me to serve right here, right now, for this time period. I'm grateful. But you know what? My family goes to church here. Why would I be in a church where I wouldn't want my family to be discipled? Why wouldn't want them to grow? Why wouldn't want them to experience the grace of God? And so, you know, if this topic ever comes up and you go, "Oh, you know, the Calvary bubble," just ask them what's wrong with it. What's exactly wrong with being in a place where you bear fruit, where the Bible is being taught, where you sing together, you're surrounded by a bunch of imperfect people that are being grown in the grace of God? That hey. Man, God used it in your life. If you don't want to be here anymore, that's okay. Go to another church, bear fruit. You'd be used by God. But be careful to not put down good examples in your life. Paul does just the exact, exact opposite. He says, join in following my example because there's a lot of bad examples out there. There's a lot of bad examples. And how careful we need to be is I look at my own life and I, I really examine my life before the Lord. I truly want to be a good example. I may not be all the time. I readily admit that. And when it's brought to my attention or God reveals it through conviction, I only have one choice, and that's to repent and make it right. That's really true for all of us, isn't it? To repent and make it right. But I know like Paul, I want to be able to say to our fellowship family, to anyone that might be listening by way of technology, hey, join in following my example. You know, I I read the Bible every day. Almost. I pray every day. Almost. I love worshiping God with the saints all the time. Almost. <laughs> you get my point? Like, I'm following along. I mean, I have my days for sure. I have my days where, like, I don't know, I didn't realize, man, it's, it's like bedtime. I haven't been in the Word yet. I better jump in and, like, Lord, I want to be. But, I mean, not every day, but man, your example is going to be a steady progress, right? It's going to be a steady moving forward. It's going to be a steady upward call. And Paul says, follow my example because there's many examples not to follow. And that's a word of the Lord to someone today. There are many examples that you shouldn't follow. Not because of the Calvary bubble or some pastor told you to, because the Bible says so. It's the authority of God's word. There are just examples that we aren't to follow. And we're to note these folks. We're to note the ones to follow and we're to note the ones not to follow. Now, that doesn't mean we just dismiss people that are a bad example or dismiss people that might be backslidden. Not at all. Just don't follow them because you'll become like them because you'll become and I'll become like who we choose to follow, who we choose to mimic. I I know as a new believer, I was looking for people that I could watch on how to be a dad. Because I was such a horrible dad. And so I would show up to the prayer meeting, the men's prayer meetings. And I would show up to the men's Bible studies. And I would just be surrounded. And I would just watch guys that were taking care of their kids or talking about their families. And it didn't take long to really gain. That's a guy, man, that... I mean, I don't know his wife or his family, but that's a guy that I want to get to know. That's a guy that I want to be a part of his life. I want to ask him questions. I want to watch his family because one day I want to be like that. Because I don't know. I don't even know what to do. I would be watching people. What kind of husband am I supposed to be? What kind of husband am I supposed to be? And the last thing I needed to do was to look to people just like me that just got saved. Because they don't know how to be a husband either. We're all learning together. And that's why the Bible speaks of, you know, the Bible speaks of the older women ministering to the younger women, the older men ministering to the younger men that we might be able to serve one another. And he says, notice, he says uh, in verse 18, he says, Many, um, note those who walk because you have us as a pattern because there's a lot of people of whom I told you often and I'll tell you weeping that they're enemies of the cross. They're enemies of the cross. Be careful who you're following. Because come back to, with me to 2 Kings When it comes to the beginning in chapter 18, Hezekiah went all the way back to David. And he followed in the ways of David. He made a wise choice. Notice what he did in verse 4. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. So that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any would be before him. He held fast, I like that, he held fast to the Lord, and he did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him, and he prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and he did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from the watchtower to the fortified city. And so Hezekiah sought sought to make a real change. He really began to tear down the false worship, replacing it with the true. And he went through and did what was hard and what was difficult and what was unpopular. And it it became so bad among the children of Israel, this reference to Nehushtan is a reference back to that bronze serpent that was used that now has become an article of idolatry. The bronze serpent that God literally saved people back in in the book of Numbers. He saved their lives. If they would just look to, it became a type of the cross, a type of Christ. If they would just look to the pole, if they would just look to the the, the pole, they would be saved. And now it's become a form of idolatry. It's amazing what we would go, what we get into uh, when we take our eyes off the Lord. And the farther along we go, the more difficult it is. You know, remember with King Asa, there's this wonderful scripture reminding us of the presence of God. Because it says in verse 7, the Lord was with him and he prospered wherever he went. You want that to be said about you. The Lord's with you and you prosper wherever you go. This isn't like personal prosperity. This isn't the overflowing of money and resources. and possess- It's the presence of God. What possibly could you own physically that's better than the presence of God? And of course, we know in the new covenant, we know by grace that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But I believe for us, when we think of this, when we say the Lord was with him, it's not like the Lord isn't with us, but that we enjoy the presence of God. That that's the real true prosperity, that we're enjoying him and that we're walking in fellowship with him. And so note it, jot it down in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. Let me read it to you. It says, And now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa. All Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with Him. If you seek Him, He'll be found by you, but if you forsake Him, He'll forsake you." Now we'll get into this text when we get into First Second Chronicles, and we'll study it more in depth, but what a glorious revelation of the presence of God. You know, especially to those of you that might feel a little lonely tonight, a little isolated just feeling like nobody really understands or really nobody knows where you are. Hey, the Lord is with you, and you will prosper wherever you go. You're not forgotten by God, and that's the key to spiritual success.
1: You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Pastor Ed, as we closed, you made an excellent point, and that is the Lord is with us wherever we go. He doesn't forget us. Maybe someone listening right now really needed to hear that. Is there a feeling lonely and forgotten? Is there anything you'd like to add to that? It's a very difficult thing, Larry, to be lonely and
0: forgotten And our feelings. I think it's a good time to pause right now and just remind everyone. I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but it's real important you hear it in this very moment that feelings are real and the feelings that you're having right now, they're real. They're overwhelming and hard. But you have to understand feelings don't always tell us the truth. And while you might be physically alone right now, or maybe even people have forgotten, um, you're not forgotten by God. And you you can step into someone's life that might feel forgotten as well. It's one of the ways that God can really strengthen you as you step into your own pain, reaching out to others, and then there's that mutual encouragement. But I'm sorry that it's a real hard season for you right now. Um, but be careful! Don't listen to the enemy. Uh, don't let him get in your head. Don't let him throw these darts of accusation against you. Uh, don't let him undermine your faith in a God who loves you and even people, because people will let us down. But not everybody will let us down. There are some people that God has reserved for you, and it may just start by you reaching out to them. Uh, but Father, I pray for those that are feeling lonely and forgotten, and just hearing the truth of your ever presence isn't enough. And yet it is enough because you are faithful. And I just pray, God, that you would encourage them, uh, that you would uplift them,
1: edify them in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for those encouraging words, Pastor Ed. We're going through 2 Kings right now, and you can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or listen through our app. Just search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And we're also on OnePlace.com. Looking for a good devotional to go through here at the beginning of a new year? We'd like to suggest an excellent devotional by E.M. Bounds called The Power of Prayer, One-Minute Devotions. This contains a collection of messages from the manuscripts of E.M. Bounds. Each day of the year, you'll read a scripture verse followed by a related meditation from the author and then end with prayer. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call us at 877 30 GRACE. That's 877 30 GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we deliver God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by aboundinggraceradio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Now, next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of Second Kings. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace.